Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And as you're turning there, please allow me to set the context for this passage. For the first five chapters of this letter, Paul has been explaining primarily the doctrine of justification. In the previous couple of chapters, he's developed more fully the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And then he spoke of the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to believers when they are brought to saving faith. So this leads us to our passage that we're going to consider today. Paul makes a shift in his teaching to focus on another important doctrine, namely our sanctification. So hear now the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 6. And we'll be reading the first 14 verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, let us ask His blessing upon it. Holy Father God, we thank You for this word that You have given us and we ask that You would bless it. We ask that You would use it to speak to us here this evening. That these words that You have given us will resonate within our souls, that our hearts would be stirred to action because of the things that we hear in this passage. 
So we ask that you would make the preaching of this word effectual in our lives as a means of grace that we may feast upon it, that we may feast upon you. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. So what is sanctification? Now the Sabbath school answer is that sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And there's a lot that can be unpacked from that simple catechism answer. But our focus this evening will be on that last phrase, that we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. How is it that we are enabled? What is it that motivates us in our sanctification? What is it that drives our sanctification? Well, the answer comes from Paul's explanation of this doctrine in our text this evening. And the message for the first century Christian in Rome is the same message for you here today. Let your justification, what is true, drive your sanctification, what you are to do. This is a simple notion of the indicative and the imperative. The indicative, what is true, drives the imperative, what you are to do. This is the outworking of your relationship with the Lord. As B.B. Warfield says, this is all built upon that covenant phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. What God has done and then what we are to do. Our duty stems from what God has done. And we see this here in our text in a series of three calls to the believer. First, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. We see this in verses 1-4. to And second, recall your liberation. Recall your liberation. We see this in verses 5-11. to And then lastly, realize your sanctification. Realize your sanctification. Verses 12-14. to So let's look at our passage. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul begins this section of teaching, this section of Scripture, by addressing the absurdity, the foolishness of the objection that can be raised against the doctrine of justification by faith alone. 
And this same objection is made even today against the doctrine of justification by faith alone and the doctrines of grace that we hold so dear. And the objection truly is absurd. To make the accusation that because justification is by faith alone, therefore you can continue in sin so that the Lord and His grace may be made more fully known is sheer craziness. It's madness. And in all honesty, it's blasphemy. Paul says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yes, you have been saved apart from your own works, apart from anything you could ever do. But this salvation is for a purpose. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You cannot have salvation by grace through faith without being created for good works. It's impossible to continue in sin that grace may abound. Paul is flat out rejecting the objection. And this rejection of the objection is intended to point you towards the call to have your justification drive your sanctification. So this leads to the first call. Remember your baptism. Your baptism is a reminder of who you are in Christ. So what does your baptism signify? It signifies the washing away of your sins. Acts 22.16 And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on His name. This cleansing from sins, this being made right, in your standing with God is given to you in the imagery of baptism. But it's Christ's blood applied to you and not the water itself which truly does wash away your sins. The active cleansing agent is always and only the blood of Christ. Baptism is never and can in no possible respect be the purifying agent. It's Christ's blood which washes away sins. This must never be forgotten or confused. Baptism also signifies the pouring out of the Spirit in regeneration. Joel 2:28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out 
my spirit. Baptism signifies being united with Christ in His death. We see this clearly in verse 3 of our passage. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? You have been engrafted into Christ. And you now partake of every spiritual blessing that is found in union with Him. This is what baptism signifies. And baptism is a real and tangible reminder of your being justified in Christ. Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is the visual representation of what is true of you. And you must remember it. And not just in some vague cognitive recollection of the time in which you were baptized. No, you are to remember it in an active way. In the same way that you're to remember to remember the Sabbath. It's an active remembrance. Our standards teach that you are to improve your baptism. And this is done every time the sacrament of baptism is conducted in the worship of the local church. The sign of baptism is not simply a concern of the one being baptized or even just for the family that's involved. It's for the entire covenant community congregated as a witness to that covenantal act. The things signified in baptism should be brought to mind and impressed upon your hearts every time you see the sacrament administered. As you witness the waters of baptism being poured out on the covenant people within the church, meditate on what is meant by those waters of baptism. Call to mind the washing away of your sins and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. How do you do this? How do you remember your baptism? By endeavoring to live by faith, to have your conversation in holiness and righteousness as those who have therein given up their names to Christ and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. That is how you remember your baptism. Let your baptism be ever present in your mind, influencing how you go about your daily life. Or to use the words of Paul, that you may walk in newness of life. You must see what is true of you. And the first call of Paul in doing this is to remember your baptism. And the first call to remember your baptism ought to be accompanied by the second. Recall your liberation. 
Paul gives the call to the people of God to recall your liberation from slavery to sin and death. Look with me back at our text beginning in verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This call to the people of God, this call to recall your liberation from Sin and death from slavery and bondage has been the call to God's people since the very beginning. He is a faithful God who brings His people out of captivity and unto Himself. And this is captured in that covenant ceremony of Exodus 19 that we read earlier. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. This is imagery of the eagle swooping down and and lifting up the people and then carrying them out and unto the Lord. And the same is true of you Today, if you are in Christ Jesus. The story of the Exodus, the story of deliverance from slavery, is your story. You've just experienced it in a far greater way. Your deliverance wasn't simply out of the hands of a wicked oppressor. No, your deliverance was from the hands of the evil one, the accuser of men, the prince of darkness, Satan himself, who held you firmly in his grip. Your deliverance wasn't simply out of the house of bondage after living as slaves in captivity. No, your deliverance was out of the chains of oppression that enslaved you to sin and death. And just as the Lord God swooped in and lifted up His people out of Egypt and carried them on eagles' wings, bringing them unto Himself, so too did the Lord condescend, taking on human flesh, conquering the enemy by His death on the cross and was raised up, purchasing redemption for His people and carrying them out of the house of a bondage to sin and death and bringing them unto Himself. This is true of you. The call of Romans 6 to recall this liberation from slavery to sin and death is a call to you. He has brought you out of bondage so that you now 
can consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Slavery to sin and death has been broken. Sin and death is no longer your master. No, they are dead to you. That is the call to you today. And this is the transition from what is true to what to do. Because these things are true of you, because of who you are in Christ Jesus, because you have been freed from bondage to sin and death, you must live in light of it all. It must change how you live. And this is the third call to the believer. Realize your sanctification. Now just to be clear, I'm not saying that you are to realize that your sanctification is your justification. Now that's the error of the legalists. That's the belief that your being in right standing with God is dependent upon whether or not you are doing good works or exercising covenant faithfulness. That's legalism. Nor is it that your sanctification is found in your justification. That's the error of the antinomians, those who are against the law of God. That's the belief that because you are in a right standing with God, you already possess holiness and therefore you have no need to obey the law of God. That's licentiousness. Neither of those views are what Scripture teaches us concerning how we are to live in light of who we are in Christ. The call to realize your sanctification is the call to make it real in your daily lives. It's the progressive living out of sanctification that you now possess. And we see this in the final verses of our passage beginning in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Yes, it is the Lord who works sanctification in you. But you're still also to sanctify yourselves. Leviticus 20 and verses 7 and 8 says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This is the call to holy living. 
not out of obligation or seeking merit, but out of gratitude and thanksgiving for what the Lord has done in your lives. You must get up and do something. This isn't saying that you are the one who sanctifies. No, it's the Lord who sanctifies you. However, it's accomplished in such a way that you are active and responsible in the process of your sanctification. Philippians 2 and verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You must strive after holiness without which no man will see the Lord as Hebrews 12.14 says. You must put away sinful habits. You must be killing sin wherever it begins to rear its ugly head. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You must present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The call to you today is to realize your sanctification. Brothers and sisters, we must never forget this truth. Holy living must flow from your standing in Christ. Your justification must drive your sanctification. The appearance of holy living without truly having been changed by the Spirit is like a wasp mess. It has the appearance of a comb, but inside there's no honey. It lacks the sweetness of being changed by the Lord. It's the whitewashed tombs of the Pharisees. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's nothing but dead, dry bones. This is you. Cry out to the Lord for your salvation. Christ Jesus bore your sin and died the death that you should have died. He was crucified, died, and buried. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And if you today will hear the call of the Spirit of Christ to repent and believe in the Gospel, then you will be saved. But there's another error. And that error is to claim that you have been changed and you've been made new by the Spirit and yet continue living as though you are a pagan. This is vanity that leads to death. 
Faith apart from works is dead. The Lord says that we can know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Are you bearing the fruit of one who has been changed by the Spirit? Are you bearing the fruit of holy living? Pray that the Lord would sanctify you, causing you to walk in obedience to Him. He will make His holiness manifest in you. He will cause you to walk in newness of life. Brothers and sisters, we are given an instruction manual for how to do this. The law of the Lord that was given to us at Mount Sinai, this moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments and further summarized by Christ Jesus Himself in the two greatest commandments, This is how we live as those who are being sanctified by the Lord. This is how we live holy lives. We must do this. Sanctification is part of your salvation. If you are not living holy lives, Examine yourselves to see if you truly are in the faith. And be encouraged. Because when you fail, and you will, be encouraged that you have the Spirit of Christ in you. Who motivates you. Who empowers you. Who encourages you to stay on the path. To walk the straight and narrow. And to enter into the glory where you will finally be fully and completely sanctified. But as you walk this life, brothers and sisters, you must sanctify yourselves even as the Lord sanctifies you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we we pray that You would work in us We pray that You would instill in us a desire to live holy and upright lives. That we would look to Your Son, that blessed man of Psalm 1, that man of righteousness, as our example to follow. Father, when we fail, we ask that Your Spirit would comfort us. That we would be reassured that our standing before before You does not depend upon our walking perfect, upright lives, but our standing before You depends upon our standing in Christ. So we thank You that we have been clothed in His righteousness and that we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So Father, we ask that You would motivate us in this place to do just that. And as we walk this world, as we walk according to the precepts of Your will, that the world around us would see something different about us. And that we wouldn't just use our actions, our walk, as means by which they see something different about us, but that You would embolden us and empower us to proclaim the Gospel to a lost and dying world. 
so that we may see the kingdom advanced in this place, knowing that all nations, all rulers, all principalities, all kingdoms will bow the knee to Christ. Will kiss the Son. Father, we ask that You would continue to work here in Westminster, Colorado. We thank You and we praise You for raising up men to training for for the diaconate and for the eldership. So we pray also for that election that is coming up. That the men that You have ordained to serve in this place would receive the call of the congregation through the election, would go through the process and would receive the laying on of hands in ordination, separating themselves to that particular work. Father, we continue to pray that You would raise up a man to shepherd this flock. That even now You would be working in the heart of the man to give him a desire and a love and a heart for this congregation that he may serve them and serve you faithfully. Father, we ask these things. We pray these things. We lift these things up to you. Knowing that you are the one who answers prayers, that you have a sovereign plan for us, for our lives, for our congregation, for our community, for our country, for our world. You are sovereign over all. And so that's why we bring these things to You. And we bring them to You through the name and authority, through the mediation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our only King. Amen.